Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the world of priesthood dispatches, where we tell your stories from the front lines of high demand religion. Hey everyone and welcome back to the channel. Today is the 23rd of May 2020. Uh, please like and subscribe if you want to support the channel. Hit the link in the description below. You may be able to tell that my voice is extremely husky and that is following an epic weekend at Thrive here in the UK and brought together the dream team this evening. Minus 21st century saints. We love you Alana. We love you Jane um they couldn't be with us this evening but they'll be with us i'm sure on the next broadcast but say hello everyone hi hey hello yeah awesome <laughs> so uh laura's going to be back with us in a minute she's just wrangling the natives uh down there at uh julian's house so what i thought we'd do this evening because we all had such an amazing time at thrive is we're going to try and give you just a little taste um of what yeah, what we experienced and kind of G you all up to come to the next Thrive here in the UK or to find a Thrive near you because uh, Nemo's going to tell us about how Thrive is expanding, especially here in Europe. Um, but what is Thrive? Um, Thrive, I guess, is the um, child of Clinton, Jenny and John. Over there in the United States, that's Clinton, Jenny Martin, and John DeLynn, all three of whom actually came across the pond here to the UK um, to be with us. And that was amazing. We had such a great time with them. Thank you so much for coming. Um, but they really do put a whole lot of hard work into Thrive. And in the United States, you get thousands of people um, come out in order to just meet together and thrive beyond religion. Um, and it's all about just kind of carrying on that community that we did have, that community that we kind of lost in leaving the church, but refinding in a non-religious kind of environment and sharing experiences. So that was what we've got going here in the UK. Here in the UK, we have Catherine Smutek and Sean Coombs, who are killing it when it comes to organizing these events. Uh, we've also got Nemo and the Magnetors who are assisting them and just doing an amazing job. And I hope that we, in this next hour, can kind of communicate how good it actually was um, and how it's a little bit different here in the UK. I think with everything, in the last 12 months, we've had uh, two Thrives here in the UK. We've had a Sunstone and we've had another get-together to celebrate Mark Elwood and the Glass Looker. But here in the UK, our events, yeah, they're slightly different in the fact that they're smaller, a little bit more personal, and yeah, we we always end up 2 a.m. in the club, um, sipping on some bud. Baby, I got what you need. Sorry, the karaoke coming out already. <laughs> but anyway, before we get into the specifics, guys, uh, how how did you feel about Thrive? Peter. There are, <laughs> they all lost their voices. I shouted less, so I can still speak. <laughs> um, it was awesome and for all kinds of reasons, but what you described that it, it's starting to really very quickly bring people together and create community. Uh, people that we've often encountered in social media, but haven't been able to see in person. Um, we had someone flying from Switzerland, you know, they're just so keen to get, get some of what it's offering. 
and um it was fantastic a really great experience we kind of had a little prototype one with about 30 people um when was that i can't even remember was it it feels like only a few january months ago time? january and, yeah and this time we had about 60 there it was buzzing uh met so many people that, that i was able to have really deep conversations with as well as a lot of fun um the food was amazing <laughs> it was uh it was a lot of, just seeing loads of of mormons who used to be bishops and things having a great time in the medieval pub <laughs> um is is an experience <laughs> yeah yeah uh, uh one event that i did miss mark johnson well done for pulling me up on that the mormon studies conference in coventry mark was telling me about this did anyone get a chance to go um from the panel no one told me no i I'd not seen it either, um, but Mark says it was, it was more of a, an academic study of Mormonism. But I think it'd be really interesting to go to one of those again in the future. Mark, if you can, if you hear about another one happening, you can uh, give us a shout because it'd be really good to cover one of those as well. Mm, for sure. Okay, so Thrive for the Brit Avengers, um, well, and other people really started informally on the Friday night. Um, I know that a lot of People from Thrive met with Clint and Jenny at a restaurant on Friday night. And the Brit Bengers met in uh, an Airbnb with John on the Friday evening um, to maybe inform John on some of the finer points of the British language. <laughs> it did just descend into teaching John dirty words. <laughs> He's got. He, a, he has a wide lexicon of British swears now. Yeah, yeah. The, he was amazed at the many uses of the word bollocks, <laughs> <laughs> both as an adjective and a verb. Yeah. Um, how did you guys enjoy Friday? And a positive Friday and a negative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was amazing it going was... out, getting some curry brought in. Um, you know, showing John what real kind of British cuisine is like. Obviously, we stole it from another country. That's just the way. So we all enjoyed some British, uh, some you know, some curry. Uh, it was really nice to have that space together, just um, just us to get together. And I was actually talking to to Julian afterwards how it was great to meet John and everything, but we would have still done that ourselves. And and that's just what we do. We get together and we have a good time. So it was really nice that having John there didn't really change that. He just added to it. And I would say as well, he didn't, he, he just complimented it. He didn't insert himself, you know, strongly in any way. Um, you know, he's obviously been really, really instrumental to a lot of our journeys. And yet you wouldn't know it because he's a very humble guy. Yeah. I know we've really, all had... Really, I mean, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I was just going to echo that. I know we've all had conversations with John before. I don't think any of us have met him. Um, in person before had we no yeah and and yeah that really for someone that has had such a big impact on the mormon community um i was going to say ex-mormon community but it's not just the ex-mormon community just um the the forum for being able to talk in a, in a very open way about everything to do with mormonism and for someone that's had such a big impact he um he's just so humble and just kind of wanted to be with us you know rather than kind of right i'm going to meet with you and you and be kind of it, it all revolving around him so yeah that just just a, a great guy really mm. yeah absolutely um so we are on the priest of dispatches channel so swearing etc is allowed so this explanation i think needs to be had because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of american viewers here yeah bollocks can be a positive term peter mm. can you explain the ins mm. and outs of bollocks please well Okay, and I'm really looking forward to my students at secondary school discovering this video and playing it back to me. Um, but uh, the, so in a positive, uh, before I get fired, um, the bollocks or the dog's bollocks can mean something that's wonderful, that's very good, that's, that's the peak, the, the A star in, in its category. So that's how it would be used positively. I don't know what's um, so special about it. Dogs, yeah. bollocks. Mm. What, what sets them above all the others? It's, it's consonants. 
It's lots of hard, hard consonants. It's, it's the language it feels knees. good in the mouth. You know, yeah. you've got it's the bees, bees knees. Yeah. Well, so it's some random body parts mm. to be fair. Cats, nats. Mm. Cats, nats. Cats, nats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, dogs, uh, bollocks. Okay. Top. Mm. But it could that also be an English could... is the versatile language. That, that will probably be a, um, a highlight for me. Peter saying that the dog's bollocks feels good in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear purely unintentional of oh course. dear <laughs> oh. i spent all day with teenage boys i can i can That's... go lower if you need me to yeah <laughs> well no please don't um but yeah so dogs bollocks is top fantastic if someone says that's the dogs or that's the bollocks or that's the dogs bollocks any of them means it's fantastic it's really good so if you're having a, a nice drink the dog's bollocks that is um but then i think the... for the americans we should we should brand each episode we do like last time it was this episode of the brit vengeance panel has been brought to you by cock womble cock mm. yeah and today's is the dog's bollocks oh. there we go awesome so like yeah, not, wanting, not wanting to labor that point too much um because this, this is about a positive thrive um yeah. but yes to complete that story on the other hand, if you're bollocking someone, then you are shouting, being angry at them and giving them a telling off. Or if you stub your toe, you can say bollocks um, is a kind of expletive. So, yeah. So John, this John could just be a standalone episode, couldn't it? Yeah. British slang. We did spend a good amount of time with John on this. <laughs> but also, like, we live streamed on Instagram um for about half an hour doing questions it was, it was an hour the audience it was a good hour and okay and occasionally became was, civilized during that so yeah it was an hour you can yeah, catch that it, it it became like a so we were all sat on a sofa and you'll be able to see the full video uh mm-hmm. over on nemo's channel in the next day or so for anyone who wants to catch up on that uh it is worth catching up on definitely but it was kind of like john was sat in the middle we were all sat around him and then at some point, someone said, John, who are all these people? <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, who are these people? So John has such a massive reach. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I had my, I went live on TikTok with it. And then, yeah. so John's phone was next to mine. And you could see John's like, like button and all the hearts just flying across the screen and comment, 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 comment. And then I was looking across at mine and maybe there was a comment every five minutes. So, guys, um, I know we can't compete. He's, up your game. He's 20 years further down the road, but, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was It was Peter insisted we were holding him hostage um, unless people <laughs> asked a question. Yeah, or gave yeah. us 100 billion to let him go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought one of, one of the uh, good questions, obviously my question, was about the pulpit. And we won't share all the stories, but John's story was especially mm. like up there. Peter's was good too, so yeah. go and watch it. Thank you. But John's Nemo, can you tell us John's quickly? John's story over the pulpit was uh, that he was in the BYU. He was in the Marriott Center at BYU when uh, a young lad went up to the stand carrying a briefcase, claiming he had a bomb. Uh, yeah. Yeah, John was there. Uh, Howard, Howard uh, Hunter was was, was at the pulpit, wasn't he, at the time? I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty full awesome. on. So that was Friday. I was night. annoyed because I had to, I had to, mine was a two F word testimony, and I thought I'd win that one. Um, I'm, I'm still. Are we sure that the bomb was actually at the pulpit? I'm. I'm oh, I'm it was known to be a fake afterwards. One. It was discovered to be a fake. Yeah, there's no, no actual bomb. But you you dropped the f bomb, but he he tried to drop an actual bomb. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I didn't drop uh, the f bomb, by the way. That was someone else. Uh, Veronica Tansy, oh we only had one evening with I John. Mean, I um, did in in some of the other time I spent with him. I was teaching him different accents, the regional yeah. dialects. Well done. <laughs> you you uh, do you like your accents, don't you, Nemo? Yeah. You do like putting on an accent. You enjoy a good accent, don't you? He's very good at it. It was your best one. I have, I have pointed this out before. Um, 
that isn't actually Nemo's real accent. Yeah, that's his posh <laughs> accent that he puts on to pretend that he's a little bit upper class. Um, okay, it, right, cool. So come on, like give, us your real, give us your real accent. Okay, fine. You caught me out. I'm going to talk like PD for the rest of the night. Okay. How are you? Wind your neck in, lad. <laughs> right then. So we'll get to actual Thrive now. Official Thrive for those that paid for a ticket. 10 a.m. on the Saturday morning, it was time to gather at Ye Old King's Head Pub in Chester, one of the most haunted pubs here in the UK. And uh, there's actually a YouTube series about this, and I've been watching some today, and it's a good job I didn't watch it before we went there, because <laughs> some of the things that happened in those rooms that we were in, like showing things flying off the walls and stuff, crazy. <laughs> Uh, sorry, before, before you get on. There was did, something did fly off the wall actually when I was there, but I think it was somebody trying <laughs> to keep themselves from falling off the table. Actually, took it down with them. It was like a, a candlestick thing. I can't remember who it was, but grabbed onto it to stop themselves from falling off the table during the karaoke. Yeah. We've also got a comment. Was that from the Mark crazy Quentin? woman who threw herself at us across the table and hit yeah. her head on the Trying to do some kind of flash dance, you know, like really <laughs> elegant and just end up whacking my head off of the light. Julian, thank, is this the you, first time anyone's ever said this? No. People compliment me on my accent all the time. Do they? Yeah. That's why his accent's getting a new temple. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> his accent's getting a new temple. Bitter. Peter can't, Peter's accent can't even get a chance. Our accents aren't getting a new temple. I know. Exactly. Okay. Wedding Ward get. still doesn't have a chapel. Wait, you have to wait. be from Birmingham to get the dosh. Peter, if you can tell us how Welling Ward don't have a chapel. Welling Ward does not have a chapel still. Okay. After SCMC. Since 1842. That's the problem. 1842. Mm. Okay, well, um, so I several days, several times throughout the day, I referred to all of us um, or the church as North Korea. That you can take North Koreans; they can escape North Korea, but they're still North Koreans. We are Mormons; we can escape Mormonism, but we're still kind of inbuilt with um, a bit of Mormonism in us. So, in true Mormon fashion, for the day, we split into groups. And we had three workshops, which were fantastic workshops. Um, and if anyone was triggered by splitting into groups, um, that is truly how much the church has screwed us all up. Because she split into <laughs> groups in all sorts of situations in life. But I was genuinely, when, when Catherine said, we're going to split into groups now, yeah. and we're going to go into uh, workshops, I were, I, my heart started going a little bit. And I thought... I, I text Sister PD and I said, this is far too Mormon for me. Um, but I'm willing to admit that. But the day got so much better. But there was that moment where I was triggered. And I was like, really? Mm. We're going to split into Sunday school groups. But it was it was good. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the workshops and then briefly discuss how we felt about what was discussed. And, you know identify where we felt the spirit and invite you to be baptized <clears throat> sorry mission took over there okay well but we're first we're going to go to julian who is going to give us the down low on the session that was given by john and each of these sessions was run three times so each of the groups could move around so everyone might have a slightly different experience with what happened in their group with john um, because we all may have been at different ones and different things might have come up, um, but we'll be able to give you a good overview of what happened there. So let us hand over to the silky smooth accent of Julian. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm glad that you said that, um, PD, because I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that what, what I experienced was necessarily what everybody else experienced because it was the first session of the morning, um, and so, you know, naturally things, things like this, they, they tend to kind of develop and evolve in the second delivery or the third delivery or whatever. Um, but I think especially, and I will probably find this in, in most, with most of the, the 
discussion groups with probably with the exception of Nemo's that he'll talk about in a bit um, but because it was a discussion group it was very much driven by who was there and the things that they wanted to talk to and and again John in, in great kind of humble John manner kind of kicked it off by saying well look you know I'm not here with any great wisdom to impart on you this is more just a chance for us to talk and, and, and talk about you know what what we uh, what the needs are and what we can do to help each other and that kind of thing and, and that was that then uh, became a big part of of the discussion. You know how how we can can move forward, and there were kind of people that were talking about how they've been involved in the Thrive Online stuff that's been going on, and is there a possibility to do something over here? Maybe maybe something similar like an online um, group session um, run in, in in the same way that they do the the, the Thrive one. And John was really positive about that, said, absolutely, you know, and if there are people that are willing to get involved and want to help lead that, he said, you know, really, that is the key. I, I think that the, the person that was talking about it or was asking about it, what they were suggesting was that it was, they found it very, very helpful. But being the only person over here, everybody else being in the US, made it difficult in terms of, of time zones. So ha- actually having a, a local community doing it, I think she thought would be more beneficial um, to her and so you know John's response to that really was yep yeah, that's great if there are, what it, all it needs really is somebody to lead on it and you know he also kind of referred to the fact that you know even though he has um, got lots of, of training and qualification to help him with what he does the main thing is just to have somebody there to listen and so to, to organize some kind of a group where you can do that um, isn't that hard really we just need people that are willing to to step up to it and so he again he reintroduced because he'd mentioned this previously in january at the thrive event then he reintroduced this idea of of local pods he said that he would he loves the idea or or, or certainly did um love the idea of having this fantastic ex-mormon community but has since discovered that that's probably not going to happen in the way that he would like and part of that is because the natural kind of sequence of events is that people come in at a time when they've, they've just left and they're, they're really needy and, but, but tend to move on. Um, and that doesn't mean that they don't come, come back. You know, we talked about the fact that, that Mormonism definitely has its own gravitational pull. And so even if you kind of feel like you're you know, flying off into the atmosphere, it will sometimes kind of bring you back into its orbit. Um, so we talked about the idea of these these pods. So small groups of say, you know, six to ten people um, that can get together regularly to have these conversations and to put on the, you know, I guess like little, you know, in kind of Mormon fashion, like joint family home evening sort of thing. If that's not too tr- triggering, but just the idea of people getting together to just with without having having to be a big event getting together to talk and to discuss and stuff like that. Um, I actually talked a little bit about about um, you guys. I talked about the the fact that we have um, a, a Britvengers uh, messenger group that we will use regularly to kind of share ideas, you know, by chat or every now and again it will go off and we'll all get together for a, for a, like a, a, a proper phone conversation. Um, but then just mentioned the fact that we also use it to just moan sometimes or to just vent because something's happened and we, we you know we feel like you know we need to talk to people that understand uh, and and it really has become a you know wonderful um a wonderful group where as friends we can support each other and i think you know that's something that hopefully would be quite quite easy for us to do um so that's something that, that i think we'll be looking at going forwards um whether that's done through thrive or any other way you know it doesn't need to be some kind of formal setup but just a way that the people in the uk can set up these little pods these little groups um so that we can kind of get together and um and form those maybe those small communities awesome i think for me this was probably the first time since leaving church uh that getting together with other people anyone had asked me in a group kind of like how i felt about something um and that was that was quite liberating and i think 
you know, John's session and, and we'll we'll hear about some of the other sessions will have been quite liberating for some people who felt so alone for a long time in their decisions because it is a lonely decision, um, especially if your spouse hasn't made the same decision or your friends, you know, you lose a community. So it's these spaces, I think, and that's what makes you feel heard again. Anyone else have a... That was definitely, that was definitely something a lot yeah. of people expressed, you know. Um, I think most people there had kind of ended up going through the process of disillusionment or exiting or whatever in tandem with the spouse. You know, sometimes one was ahead of the other. But but once they looked at the evidence or the issues together, they, they quickly got on the same page. But, you know, it can be absolutely devastating. It, it destroys marriages. You know, people, it breaks up families. And also a lot of people were talking, of course, about the, the tensions in their relationships with wider family who are still active in the church and so on. Um, so there's a whole world of pain there that needs uh, ministering to, you could say, or addressing or support. So Thrive is a fantastic initiative. And I, I love its honesty. I think initially they, I mean, John Dillon and Mormon Stories community and others were pioneering all kinds of things in Utah to try and in a way replicate church, to replicate that intensity of a community. But I think the conclusion generally seems to have been you can't have that level of intensity without a shared ideological belief of some kind, but also a lot of negative motivators like shame and obligation and duty that in effect makes you invest a lot of time and effort in something while abandoning your family, while, while not focusing your money and your time on the needs of your own immediate family. So, the where they seem to be at really or this journey of discovery or trying things out you know seeing what can we do um is that is a mixture of finding bits of that kind of community and whatever floats your boat whether it's music or a social group or sports or whatever that you you go to different organizations to get those things um and that's been the approach of some people who have been doing that for a long time that i've spoken to uh but actually but with it that some events to get together with other people in your situation and talk is just incredibly therapeutic and helpful mm -hmm. and inspiring. And particularly, as you said, for, you know, I talked to several people who really are going through this alone. There's no one in their stake they're aware of or region that they can talk to. Um, they were just kind of wide eyed and amazed to find so many people they could speak freely to who absolutely understood the journey they're on. Um, so I think that's something very powerful that, that Thrive or anything like it is offering. Okay. And as if by magic, highest degree. Yes, dividing into groups was extremely Mormon and triggering. <laughs> dividing into groups by sex took it up another notch to extremely Mormon and triggering. But and I think, go on, Nemo. I was going to say, I think to her credit, Catherine realized once she said it, that actually mm. is not going to work for a community that's trying to be inclusive to, you know, folks with different gender identities and things like that. And so yeah. she kind of made a comment to say, well, mm. actually, just go where you want. It yeah. Wasn't a, you know, yeah. They were exclusionary groups based on those genders, um, mm. but that's how we'd kind of chosen to group things. Yeah. Um, but so. but I, I think it was positive it was. in the fact that what we were actually dividing into was the groups that the church saw us by. And because the male and the female experience of church is very different. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be, but it is. So what was happening in those groups, whether you continue to identify by that gender wasn't an issue, but what was happening was it was, it was basically saying is one experience that is the common experience. And here is another common experience let's sit in those survivor groups and let's talk about them because sometimes in a workshop when both of those experiences are mixed the time can get shared out and depending on who the dominant people in the group are some people might not get as much from it because um they're speaking about something that they just can't um kind of apply themselves to or or see themselves in because it was a totally different experience so i think 
yeah, like you say, Nemo, it wasn't it wasn't a problem. the The idea was that we dedicate uh, a portion of time to the two different kind of groups of survivors. Mm. So if we look at it that way, um, I think that's that's what was what we were going for. Um, so if we first go to Peter, and Peter will tell us about the, uh, I guess, the male survivors side of things or those who uh, had that journey um, through the church, and that was led by Clint Martin. Yeah, this was brilliant. I kind of, I, I, I noted about six or seven sort of key things that came up, and it, and it happened very quickly. So we, you've got a group of about 10 men, several of them who've served in senior roles in church. You know, they've been bishops for years, or, you know, I mean, in Britain particularly, you tend to get senior roles in leadership. Just everyone does because there's so few of us. So we rotate through callings. Um, and and what very quickly emerged is this, what at first felt a bit weird of, oh, we can have the priesthood and the Relief Society do their thing, you know, um, was how important it was to create this space for the men to talk about their experiences. And a lot of them hadn't really been able to discuss what came up ever and it was very raw and it was like it was far more impactful than I was expecting it to be. Um, some of the things that sort of emerged were how actually lots of men, LDS men, although we usually think of it as a very patriarchal, give the men the power sort of community, um, right from in your mission, a lot of men get disempowered. You have an elite who kind of get selected for leadership roles and, and work their way up the ladder and get lots of glory. And there are plenty of missionaries who feel devastated if they didn't become a zone leader or an assistant to the president when they go home. And that just then carries on. Um, you tend to have certain types of people, usually people who are manager level in a business world, you know, um, in commercial capitalism or something similar, who get called to, to leadership roles because the whole church cult culture is very corporate and it sees those as the people who are right for that kind of job. Um, so that was some that was an epiphany to sort of to recognize that actually these hierarchies of power don't just demean and diminish women, they they actually severely put a lot of men under pressure or or put them very low on a pecking order as well, um, and feeling like failures. Um a lot of people sort of talked about how the male bonding they experienced at church, which which I mean some of the analysis of COVID was that it's mainly going to be women who aren't coming back after COVID because church on a Sunday can be a grim, difficult experience for women. There tends to be much more pressure and social pressure and shaming of them uh, with other women that they experience in Relief Society. They're often the ones wrangling children while their husbands do leadership meetings all day. Um, and indeed, what we've observed locally is that uh, a lot of the people not coming back to church after COVID are women but their husbands are still coming. And some said, well, that's because at church is the only place where men in our society get to talk about deeper spiritual and meaningful things without it being at the pub when you're half drunk. Um, so actually men get food, they get fed more from what, what church offers. But um, actually what a lot of them had concluded after leaving and, and having a shared experience of mostly being ignored or abandoned and people not knowing what to say to them so they don't say anything is that the relationships where, that they gave hours of every week to you know leaving their wives and children and families um or other friendship groups to go and serve with other men in ministering roles and leadership roles you know they spend a significant portion of their lives with these men but they realized they hadn't actually bonded on anything like a particularly deep level and as soon as they were sort of seen as apostate or abandoning ship, um, that all withdrew and there was nothing there. Um, and they're actually now experiencing much deeper relationships, maybe fewer of them, but much more meaningful um, outside the church because they're based on real, real connection rather than just shared busy work. So I thought that was quite insightful. Um, someone commented that mission, I think it's probably UPD, that missions are literal multi-level marketing systems you know where you have sort of the alphas at the top yeah. um the 
there was some commentary or discussion about how the ways that the church replicates the same standard dysfunctions you see in other secular communities. And in a way, some felt that's an indicator that it is mostly a man-made organization and not really uh, a, a divine one. Um, because why would then you get the same issues of hierarchy and rank and competitiveness and so on? Um, we're nearly there. Um, there. There was some discussion, discussion about, do you miss the leadership roles? You know, we were challenged and asked, you know, you, you've spent years in a society where you automatically have power and influence and people have to respect you because you're a man or you have a leadership role. Um, and no one there missed the role, particularly, but some talked about how they actually missed being able to perform in a sense, you know, that you can be that's that moment of being able to speak to an audience and automatically have them hang on your every word, you know, or, or so there is that, that loss of, of, of that, that quite ego building sort of um, experience of feeling important and being able to, you know, get up to at a pulpit and talk. So obviously that's why we'll do podcasting instead. So <laughs> come and be a podcast. You still get to do that stuff. Um, and uh and but there was a very strong sense from some of just how much time is wasted you know the just evaluating their experience of being in leadership in the organization how much busy work especially at state level you know state state callings often feel a bit empty and pointless you know high councillors are going giving talks and feeling important but actually they don't do much hands-on with people in the way that ward leaders do very much minister to individuals a lot um but they i think and and some discussion about how there is no pastoral care for local priesthood leaders while they're serving they give 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 they're, they 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 do on a sunday you know they're in meetings and before church they're there at sacrament meeting in this presiding role but then they don't get to be in the lessons usually because they have a long queue of people outside their office bringing them trouble to deal with. Um, so actually, in many ways, it's a very soul-destroying experience. It's a, it's not a spiritually feeding experience to have that role. Um, and, and, it, and it takes its toll. It wears people out over years. But I think the most powerful thing that came out of the whole um, discussion and which really triggered a lot of people was the incredible guilt they're processing or haven't been able to process massive guilt about the times they screwed up with they're put in this situation with no training whatsoever really uh, particularly in counseling skills and such like usually there's occasional attempts to do this and there has been a trend in the church recently to encourage local leaders to pass people on to professional counselors for serious stuff like marriage counseling and, and abuse or whatever um but all these leaders had a long series of stories of how they just winged it or did the best they could, but they ended up really screwing up people's lives, you know, like severe, profound consequences for the people they gave bad advice to. Um, and that was a lot of pain for them to deal with. And it just really made me feel that everyone needs some kind of PTSD counselling who's been through that and, and is chewing on the things that went wrong you know and i know not everyone has that kind of experience with leadership um but that guilt were, was extraordinary and the guilt of neglecting their families how little they were there for their family during those roles um so i think that that is a pretty epic you know you did this this was like traumatized people with after going to war and seeing and doing horrible things um so it was that that i think was for me the most powerful thing from that group and that experience and it really opens a window onto how we need somehow to do as much as we can to support men who've been in leadership in those ways to to deal with that and get over it and move on or cope you know because it's haunting them it really is no thank um, you peter no i think i'll be honest with you after that session i had to go sit outside for an hour and i had a little cry because that broke me like when i sat down we were doing like introductions everyone kind of introduced who you are where you're from um and be like yeah i'm pd i was a mormon you know that sort of alcoholics anonymous thing 
and I was really skeptical about what was about to happen. And yeah, I, I hit me like a train. So Julian. Yes. Uh, did you think I was putting my hand up? No, I was just. I just. You just want to hear I, my views. You were there as well. I was. Yeah. No, I, th I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fantastic. And and the reality is, you know, we didn't um, we didn't cover hardly anything of what we could have got into. Um, and again, I know everybody's everybody's session was was different, but it was really um, nice for me because there were certain things there that I'd felt that that um, had affected me that I thought were, that I haven't really spoken to anybody else about. I thought it was just me. So it was really nice to hear other people saying that they felt exactly the same. Yeah. And I think, yeah. and, and this is a comment that I would say generally for the whole thing, but what, what I find really powerful is that we're, I mean, let, let's be honest, for a start, church, we don't do a lot, you know, in church we don't do a lot of talking about our thoughts and our feelings and our opinions we do a lot of just rehashing the the rote answers you know the, the the same things that we're supposed to say what we say in church is what we're supposed to say and so to have a discussion group like that i think is really powerful but also being outside of the church being outside of that hierarchy um it just allows you to be a lot more authentic. And I think that's really powerful. You know, you're not at any time worrying about what you're supposed to say and you can just be, you know, just be a bit more genuine. So I thought, yeah, it was really good. Oh, awesome. Um, so just to answer that question from Elsie and Mormon Freedom Fairy, um, our very own Mormon Freedom Fairy, uh, Bleakly Freedom Fairy has answered it, but we would welcome foreigners to come to the UK to thrive because Nemo mentioned before this call, this is Zion and Thrive and Sunstone here in the UK is different to Utah. Uh, you'll, we'll see that later, but yeah, come, come along because it's amazing. Um, but we'll move now to the other group of survivors who experienced the female, I guess, aspect of Mormonism and to Laura, who will be able to give us an overview um, of that session that was given by Jenny Martin. Laura. I'm not. I'm not really sure what's going on because while you guys were all discussing fun stuff, we were planning the refreshments. They got us out of that <laughs> and made the refreshments. No, I'm joking. No, we had we had, we had <laughs> um, So I didn't. I I was in a session. It was led by Jenny Martin, who uh, Jenny and Clint um, were are the kind of like my main uh, thrive. Um, peeps that beautiful people that have come over and um, got us all energized and Jenny's just a lovely lovely individual she's very gentle and she kind of navigated I wasn't actually there at the start so I presume that we probably did go around the room um, and introduce ourselves I know that um, the, the three sessions were different numbers and so I'm, I imagine that different things came out and different uh, depths probably I was lucky enough to be in a group of about eight women and so we had lots of opportunities to uh, deliver our thoughts and then have feedback and then come back again which I think is really important for a conversation to be able to keep coming backwards and forwards and so we had lots of that um lots of people there um that have again been in as much as you can as a female senior roles interestingly in the session I was in we didn't talk about not having the the priesthood um or um, disadvantages in terms of church roles. Now, I don't, again, I can't speak to the other sessions. Um, and it was something that when we talked about and discussed afterwards, the difference between the men's session and the women's session, and, and this is the theme I think that we've talked about before, where with women, it, it is an outrage that we have not been able to serve and uh, be involved in the same way as men. However, I was never promised that I could get to the top. I was never promised that I could become Heavenly Father or make planets or do any of those things. And so there was always, there was a limit, but then if I didn't get there, I'm not a failure because it was never promised to me. And so that comes with its own, uh, I suppose, um, problems and it comes with its own um, positives, really. 
And so it was no, it, it wasn't something that came out. And I wonder if it didn't come out because that's not what was breaking the women in there. The the messages that were coming out really were um, areas where we were not seen or weren't heard. I don't think it's um, a coincidence, even as Relief Society president myself, when I was there, I used to, it, the theme every year was some kind of unity. It was always about getting to know, let's get to know each other. We've been with these, each other since maybe we were children or decades served together. And yet we just yearn to be actually know each other and get to know each other and be seen, but, but we never quite manage it. And so this in the, in that just one hour, half an hour, whatever it was, I learned more about the women around me than I have done from years and years being in Relief Society. Um, so when I got into the session, the topic at the time that was in there was about not wearing garments. And so people were talking um, candidly about how they were um, dealing with that when they decided to remove their garments and decide, and the whole process of putting on different underwear, um, which again is really liberating as a female. You don't, you don't talk about underwear freely. You don't talk about, certainly don't talk about underwear at church. Uh, there's very few people we're going to talk about underwear with. I can't go to work and say, I've just got rid of these really strange underwear. What do you think? Because they're going to say, what are you talking about? So we have a really niche group of people that will actually understand that, understand that process. Um, so um, garments, make a decision of when to take them off. If we decide to take them off, some people may not, and that's fine as well. Um it was the acceptance, really. So uh, motherhood and conscious parenting. Um, the idea that we're going to have to rethink this now. We are mothers or family, female family members within our families. We're going to have to reconfigure some of this. Um, a lot of it was given to us. A lot of it we're going to abandon. But we've got to decide which bits of this shattered mess we're going to pick up, take a look at keep which bits we're going to hurl behind us. Um, and that's all okay. That's a process. A lot of new language was being used, which was interesting. I'm not sure um, if someone stepped into that space, we would absolutely know uh, that we were um, out and out Mormons because we were using new language. We were using the words boundaries and consent. And it was, just, it, it was great because um, it meant that we... Um, were forging new paths and I think we were supportive of each other we listened we resonated with each other's experiences um so sexuality was a was something that came out and I get the impression from speaking to others that it came out in other sessions as well um I've said this before that when you are in youth and you are in YSA the message that you are getting very much as a female is that you are responsible for your male counterparts um, thoughts feelings temptations um, we learned in the session I was in that that actually some of the men were feeling that as well they were feeling that the women were responsible uh, so I didn't realize that that was necessarily going on with in men's sessions in, in the young men and um, uh, and priesthood that they were also feeling that female responsibility were responsible because we were certainly feeling that that burden we talked a lot about about how that's now informing our decision making when it comes to how we dress because we have some of those still have some of those hang-ups um about in terms of how we're seen how we're viewed how other we can how we may be responsible for other people's men's decisions or bad decisions um so sexuality came up a lot and i and I think really in never being given the space as a female to have your own sexuality, you're always trying not to be prey of a man. But if you are sitting there with your own sexual thoughts in youth or YSA, what kind of a beast are you as a female? So there's a lot of guilt and shame that then comes on after that. And so that was discussed as well. Um, we, I, I think overall, um, just going through my notes, people discuss their family circumstances um how they were gonna f how they were gonna talk to family members about their new decisions what their new decisions were going to be so some people have decided that they are still um keeping elements of the word of wisdom not necessarily for the word of wisdom's sake but because 
they're trying to be conscious about new vices that they're taking on. And I think that is, um, that's uh, commendable, you know, either way, whether you want to say, you know what, I'm going to break out of this mold that's been given to me. Um, and others that say, I'm going to do this really, really slowly. Um, it was just a really, really supportive group. And I think one of the, for me, the sense overall was being seen as a female talking about topics that you just wouldn't talk about in the apparently biggest worldwide female organization ever. Um, so yeah, understanding, um, understanding the need to relearn boundaries for ourselves and then going on for teaching children. Um, and then the relief, I think, that we can do it, that we're not going to need all of the rules of the church in order to have natural goodness. Who knew that we wouldn't go out and rape and pillage on the first day of our freedom? Who knew that we wouldn't um, become mass murderers, um, that we're actually want to be decent human beings and we are finding our own way? So I, I think all of that came out. I think that's amazing because like we said before about the two different experiences that is so different to what we discussed in the other group the only the only crossover point was that last one that you mentioned about who knew that we we didn't need a book or an old man to tell us to be good people um, but the whole being like 37 and choosing my own underwear for the first time was uh, strange um but you mentioned there about the sexuality and yours did sound far more interesting <laughs> on, on, on the explanation. But like, I want to just for a minute. So I'd heard the whole Elder Oaks thing of telling young ladies to cover up your shoulders and your toes because you'll give young men bad thoughts and different things. But the thing about dealing with your husband's sexuality, I've not come across that before. Yeah, so um, very much, and even in the in the last, I would say, just prior to me leaving, I remember being in, in young women's um, young women's president, and I'd asked a priesthood holder to come in and talk in there about the priesthood, and I think probably he'd regurgitated, you know, stuff that he's been told when he was younger, and he and he proceeded to tell the young women that they always need to be careful of their thoughts, but then also what they wore because the young men would see them in a certain way and feel certain things and then subsequently do certain things and you can't help but then say, oh, okay, that's on me. I mean, more than one session, we've had a plate of cupcakes produced in front of us, lovely cupcakes with, you know, luscious, great icing on top and, and then either smashed on the floor or licked or something and told that would be us if we uh, if we let ourselves be tempted. Um, yeah, like the uh, chewed chewing gum. Chewed chewing gum. Yeah, we've all we've all got a story. We've all got, um, yeah, we've all got a story. I'd imagine we've all been in a session like that. It's hard to not internalize. I think I even in my even when we'd um, we'd made a decision to to leave the church many years after I'd not worn my garments I remember going out just to the front and um putting some rubbish in the bin in the recycling and I had a vest top inside the house and I couldn't go outside without putting a cardigan on first because I just couldn't walk out without like it yeah wow well let's look woo oh pawn shoulders oh my gosh you've done it to me (laughs) (laughs) you're all responsible for your own thoughts you know what it's stupid that they'd even say that because i'm sure the first article of faith is something about being punished for our own sins and not for adam's transgressions and that young men will be punished for their own sins and not for sister bleakley's pawn shoulders sorry lynn (laughs) but you know what i mean it's like unreal um just just hailing back to the other session as peter said yvonne's just sent this um and saying that she appreciates the comments and that it's so true uh, she was discouraged from getting outside professional help um and it delayed her healing and i think that's that's the problem with an unpaid untrained ministry 
um, because as much as they want us to be signposts, etc., it's difficult for these young men uh, in that position. So, um, yeah, they, the church really needs to look at themselves there and look at the guilt that they're and damage they're doing on both sides of that desk. And I think uh, this is this is really down to you put people in in leadership positions and they are just winging it based on what they were told when they were younger. So very often we've got 40, 60 year old rhetoric flying around. Yeah. But this is this is on the church to provide some decent pastoral care. Other churches are doing it. Other small churches with not enough money are doing it. So you have to step up and start providing some decent pastoral care because your leaders will <clears throat> want something to be able to say that's useful but they will only they will just say what's been said to them if they don't get it yeah absolutely. or get permission to be able to trust themselves yeah. well it's a bit like having a so I'd, I'd, sorry i was going to say it's a bit like having a leader who grew up in the victorian age or you know the the polygamous age leading us today how crazy would that be <laughs> peter <laughs> Um, well, I, I made the point that um, my mum was a relate counsellor and she sort of segued into doing a lot of the counselling for the church. And she and the other sort of team of British counsellors um, did a lot, tried to do a lot of training actually with, with bishops and state presidents. So this started, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago or something. Um, and along with the idea of giving them a few basic counselling skills, but mainly the message that you, you forward it to a professional. And that that should be the norm now. But what the counterpoint someone made to that I thought was really interesting was like, yeah, but even that can be problematical because you've gone to your religious leader for counsel. You know, that's the person you're disclosing to. And if you're then immediately shuffled off to another professional you've never met, um, when you've it's taken a lot to be that vulnerable in that one moment and that person is in effect, recoiling is saying, I can't help you with this, but here's a phone number of someone who can, we can pay for six sessions. Um, that, that, that really made me think twice, actually, about again, about how, you know, to do religious ministering, right, you, you've got to be the counsellor as well, but trained, you know, and this is what other professional churches do. They, they, you are a, a minister and a leader, but you go to university or you do courses or you actually get qualifications in therapy and counselling as well um, so that you do have the skills to kind of at least be a bridge in that process, that you can, you, you have the confidence and the knowledge and the professionalism to get those things right and then pass people on. And of course, you know, after establishing this network of quite of supportive counsellors who and counsellors themselves need debriefing with other counsellors. You know, that's part of professional practice. Some random general authority in the area presidency came along, just decided to shut down their network um, and, and stop them talking to each other and having, you know, an organi a coordinated organisation mm -hmm. just on some whim. So even when we do manage to get things functional in some way in our, our country or in the church in a region, it only takes some someone completely ignorant with no experience or training in that area to come along and be appointed to a male leadership role and they can just scupper the whole thing. And it was, you know, it just was a disaster. Um, so, you know, so again, it's, it's this constant tension of occasionally getting something right, but then screwing it up still. <laughs> yeah. And this is just the frustration of modern Mormonism over and over again in so many areas. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think Go on, so, I was just going to make a comment, just, you know, without kind of going into the details of the, because really we're just giving an overview of, of what the whole Thrive thing was about. Um, it was really interesting, love, that you, you kicked off by talking about the whole pre, you know, the discussion that we'd had about the priesthoods mm. thing, you know, and, and that was something that was really important to me. When you handed over to me, PD, I didn't feel like I could say it on the, the broadcast oh, because, because it's a no, no, no. It's it, it's great. It's a wonderful illustration of, of, of the the issue. I thought I, I can't say how we talked about how hard it is having the priesthood, you know, in a, in a mixed um, setting, you know, because obviously I, I realise how just how ironic that sounds, you know. Um, but it's true, and you know, and uh, as men, 
with the priesthood, you've got this extra yardstick to measure yourself on, and one that you know when you look inside is, is quite clearly rigged towards a certain group of people, um, and, and that can be devastating. But I could never say that in front of a, a mixed group of people because I would feel so bad talking to women who have been denied the priesthood about how terrible it is to have the priesthood. Um, so it, it is a tricky one to to manage. But I think there was definitely some merit in having those those separate sessions. But I yeah. will say with that as well, um, and it's kind of gone out of my head. <laughs> it's all right. It happens. I'll come back to you on that one. Okay. I, enough. Two quick points. One, Peter, um, there was uh, an effort, like you said, for counselling and to try and train priesthood leaders. I was part of that effort. Uh, because I had uh, sat with the church councillors for a long time following a difficult time in my life. But a lot of it always came back to the atonement of Jesus Christ will fix me and will sort out my problems. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't. I got yeah. more from one hour with Clint and some other mm -hmm. survivors than I did from tens of hours with a church councillor trying to fix what they'd done to me. Um, so it just it doesn't work when it's because i was having a faith crisis and wasn't believing in jesus christ and he was telling me jesus can fix me so get over your faith crisis because until you get over it you're not going to be fixed and i'm like it was it was so backwards the other point was someone had made um a comment catherine had made a comment just a little bit further up the chat about um sexuality and that the sister was the gatekeeper and isn't it interesting that in a system rigged by men that men are the gas and women are the brakes you know what i mean mm -hmm. and that that you you can blame the sister for uh, not stopping whatever happened i think that's ridiculous um but i think some amazing points have been made there and as we say we could go all night about just those two sessions um but 